This is On Location. I'm Tim Leitner. On today's episode, On Location comes to you from Wisconsin, Ohio, and Illinois. But first, On Location is produced by the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Joe Mamlin and me. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, Breaker, and Radio Public, among others. So subscribe today on your favorite podcast service and tell all your friends. Each year, On Location features spotlight interviews with individuals or program teams who have made significant contributions to the Child Support Program. In this episode, Pat O'Donnell of Young Williams and Brandy Gallego of Franklin County Child Support Enforcement Agency co-host a conversation with the NCA 2022 Outstanding Leader Awardee, Maria Lasecki. Maria shares her career journey, which we're sure you'll find to be most interesting, as well as her thoughts on servant leadership and how the peer mentoring program has provided significant benefits to child support program participants. This podcast will motivate and inspire. It's going to be a great show, so stick around, and we'll be right back. is Pat O'Donnell of Young Williams, and I'm joined by our co-host, Brandy Gallego of the Franklin County, Ohio Child Support Enforcement Agency. Welcome to NCA On Location. Today, it's our pleasure to host a conversation with a recognized leader in the child support community. Brandy, can you share a little of your background with our listeners? Sure. Thanks, Pat. Hello, everyone. My name is Brandy Gallego, as Pat had said and I have been at Franklin County Child Support Enforcement Agency for almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years in January. I am currently the manager of our enforcement division, and I have had the pleasure of um, being on the NCA communication and podcast committee for about the last nine months or so. And then I also was able to be on the awards committee as well to be able to pick these new winners. So with that, Each year, the National Child Support Enforcement Association, or NCIA, recognizes individuals and teams who have made significant contributions to the child support program in their jurisdiction. At the August 2022 Leadership Symposium in Charlotte, North Carolina, NCIA announced the recipients of these coveted awards, and it's my pleasure to introduce to you Maria Lasuski, the Director of Brown County, Wisconsin Child Support Agency. Maria received the National Outstanding Leader Award in recognition of her ongoing and impactful accomplishments. Welcome, Maria, and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me and and honestly for the opportunity to share some of the things we've been working on in Brown County. It's, it's really an honor. Awesome. I can't wait to hear more. So with that, here's our first question for you. 
Maria, can you share an overview of your career journey with our listeners? And what is something no one else would know or would ever guess about you? Sure. Well, the privilege I was given by the county executive 11 years ago to serve in the director role has been something I, I really have not taken lightly. I work with an incredible team of 40 men and women, mostly women, and it's an understatement to say that I'm honored to be able to call them my work family. They are just simply a terrific group of people, and, and I wouldn't be having this conversation today without their tenacity and their commitment, their relentless quest for excellence and really everything they tackle, and in their belief in something extremely important and, and, and really much larger than themselves, and that's the child support program. So I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge my team and thank them for putting up with me, really. My career journey after college started in a place that I knew I just wasn't meant for. I was actually a flight attendant for about two years. And as the time and trips flew by, I just knew I wasn't doing what I was put on this planet to accomplish. It wasn't glamorous or rewarding, and it didn't even really pay the bills. Um, I lived in a hotel room with 15 other flight attendants on call in Detroit, Michigan, and sleeping in a bathroom tub was not quite out of the ordinary. So I packed up my suitcase and returned home to land a job on the front lines at Human Services and Income Maintenance as an intake specialist. Not entirely sure where the time went, because that was actually 31 years ago, but I remember it like it was yesterday. It was my very favorite job. I loved everything every bit of it, every minute of working with applicants who were up against difficult times, economic circumstances that were hard to overcome. And I saw my role as the opportunity to make that experience applying for welfare a little less overwhelming or undignified. Times were different back then, and in particular for ABODS, which was the acronym for Able-Bodied Adults Without Dependent Children. Many of the applicants I saw had found their way to the agency to apply for SNAP, our food, our food stamp program, or for Medicaid, and some of the cases I dealt with were in need of a lengthy disability determination before really any eligibility for Medicaid would be possible. Countless people I served had been given diagnoses that entailed a life expectancy without medical intervention that was much shorter than the disability decision would be rendered. And in those cases, those folks solidified my commitment to public service, to networking, to collaborative efforts to meet basic needs, and really to never giving up on people or programs to find answers to the toughest of circumstances. I had a saying that I shared with everyone, which was, I'm really only one bad situation from being on the other side of my own desk. It's okay. We'll get through this together. And we did, or we at least tried valiantly. But I do what I do even today to continue what I did for those folks I had the honor of helping. With the eclipse of AFDC and the transition to TANF and in our state of Wisconsin, Wisconsin Works or W2, I took on a refugee case manager role and made it my mission to work myself right out of a job. We had a wonderful Hmong and Laotian refugee population who had settled in the Green Bay area. But with limited English speaking skills and really absent any work histories in the United States, my job along with the translator was to assist with things like job training opportunities, um, work site placement, or in situations of really incapacity or physical limitation um, to begin the, pro the social security application process. 
After a few short years, the caseload was indeed depleted. Participants had successfully obtained sustainable employment positions, or SSI, and some have even embarked upon self-employment farming ventures, all which afforded their families self-sufficiency. Thankfully, human services kept me, but put me in a supervisory role to oversee the support services unit and economic support, and I eventually took on supervision of all support services positions in the agency and got to participate on the senior leadership team where I learned an incredible amount about the important programs administered through there. But our county operations include a zoo, a wonderful zoo, not little by any stretch. And as I was getting ready for work one morning, I saw on the news that something very unfortunate had taken place out there involving managerial embezzlement to the tune of over $100,000. And I wondered immediately how I could help. Given my background, as well as my involvement in writing policy and procedure, I felt compelled to see if there was really anything I could do to help out. And indeed there was. And in an interview later, I officially became the operations manager with oversight responsibilities of all things non-animal related. And that scope was very, very broad. And it included things like guest services, the education and volunteer programs, the gift shop, concessions, special events, and really any other duties not even necessarily assigned, but just needing to be done. And it was a crazy ride. I spent the next five years expanding the gift shop and envisioning and building a full-fledged restaurant and working to develop public-private partnerships with businesses and vendors as sponsors, and feeding giraffes when volunteers didn't show up. I had the pleasure of meeting some amazing, generous people. One donor um, on a Friday afternoon sought me out as I had previously assisted her in my former role. Her parents passed away and she made the single largest donation with her inheritance in honor of them and the time they spent as a family together at the facility. But as time went by, I missed precisely that, those connections, the opportunity to really and meaningfully make a difference for people when the chips were down. And at the zoo, I could make good times better. There's no doubt about that. But making tough times manageable and okay, that was really where my passion lied. And so when the opportunity arose as the director of child support, my sole endeavor was to assure the county executive that an operations manager at the zoo was perfectly positioned to fulfill the leadership role in child support. Thankfully, he understood my background sufficiently enough to make that quantum leap. And some say it's maybe just a zoo of a different kind here. But for me, my child support role is really a dream come true. I'm back where I belong. Make no mistake, uh, the journey as a director has been challenging at times. We've done so much in a decade, and honestly, my philosophical approach to service delivery has never been quite status quo in terms of historical operationalism in the program. Coming in with a holistic approach to case management that places value on taking a family-centered focus, well, there were some questions. (laughs) What does someone from the zoo really know about child support anyway? But I've worked hard to ensure that I earned the trust and respect of those around me, enough to get behind what I believe to be best practices, and that commitment has paid off. I've also learned that change, when absolutely necessary, is still hard for folks. But when it's viewed as optional or preferential, it's a tough sell. Finding the necessity, how essential trying something new really is, for us, that's the key to effectuating change with any degree of success. And I literally went back to graduate school, eventually earning a master's degree in organizational leadership and public administration, just 
um, simply to learn as much as I could about how to best lead my incredible team through those times. And in terms of something no one else would know about me, that's a tough one because I'm pretty much an open book. I think listeners might be surprised to know, though, that I babysat two one-month-old African lion cubs who had been orphaned by their mother at birth. It was sad, but Mandisa and Masamba literally had a sleepover at my house one night when the curator of animals had a date. I'm still a little traumatized by the whole experience. Um, En route to my house, they somehow managed to get out of their cages while I was on the highway. So I literally had two lions climbing over my leather seats and into my lap at 70 miles an hour. The chaos continued until the next morning, to be honest, but I'll never forget it. And not many people can say they bottle fed two lions and then took them to bed. So. Maria, your background is incredible. And thank you so very much for sharing it with us. I think it'll be of great interest to our listeners as well. Uh, We all have had options to evolve as our career has progressed and really appreciate you sharing your experiences. So how do you define servant leadership and how do you apply those principles in your interactions with both internal and external stakeholders? Well, I consider servant leadership to be essentially a shared approach to authority in its most basic form. And as it implies, it's a style that puts others and their interests first before the leaders. That includes creating a nurturing culture, which enables people around the leader to not only grow both personally and professionally, but to find meaning in their work and to achieve goals and to feel compelled to want to pay it forward by serving servantly as well. I find another very important aspect to be the quest to find common ground, setting aside right or wrong or impasse in lieu of seeing perspectives and alternatives as untapped viable opportunities. And even more importantly, servant leadership is like organic fertilizer for future leaders. (laughs) Without a doubt, in order to be successful in government or really any public service related work for that matter, it's essential to understand and adhere to the principles of servant leadership and its style. I honestly believe that leading servantly um, as a team and its individual members, they, they stand the best chance at success in achieving personal satisfaction or feeling appreciated and fulfilled while simultaneously realizing their own potential. Those things, those things are imperative to sustainability. But there's a caveat, and I think it's important to point out that that is provided the mission and the vision of the agency or the program have been set forth and are clearly understood. I'm cognizant of the advantages and make no mistake, there are disadvantages as well of this leadership style, but being unselfish and trying to remain humble and fostering a culture of diversity and ownership, and perhaps most importantly, focusing on innovation through collaboration. This all goes a long way towards building trust among those we work with, whether those individuals are our work family or our external customers and stakeholders. But having said that, there really is not one right leadership style. I'm of the belief that all of the numerous styles are useful and possibly at times more appropriate under varying circumstances. You have transformational leadership, transactional leadership, democratic, laissez-faire, or conversely even authoritative. The, The list goes on. 
but all of these styles are founded in solid theory and practice. And I do rely on my knowledge and understanding of their foundations and principles when I look to implement a process or to manage a project or to ultimately strive to positively influence if I'm introducing change, given that I, I have a, a large staff with varying perspectives and personalities. When I do, the important things that I have to remember to take into consideration are remembering the merits and the downfalls of each of these styles and knowing my own personal default style. And then this is key to being able to shift from that style based upon the situation I'm faced with to the best optional style to, to optimize my outcome. Honestly, I'm most comfortable leading in my default style of servant, as well as authentic leadership. Those two approaches to a fault are my home plate. And while I can adjust to other styles when necessary, I lead most authentically as servant. In complete disclosure, however, in no way do I think I have the market cornered on all of this. Every day, every challenge, every interaction, I learn more and more about myself and about the nuances of leadership. I also have to say, I've learned a tremendous amount from our participants themselves, perhaps even more than any classroom has ever afforded me. So I give them a lot of credit too. I would certainly say humble leader would also define you as well, Maria. How has technology empowered parents participating in your program? Sure. Well, I think the biggest travesty I mean, we're, we're in 2022 now, is not utilizing technology to simplify or even improve upon services. And while our agency has made strides to incorporate systems to better serve our customers, I don't think we've exhausted all of the possibilities yet. I guess it's a continuous improvement approach we take with everything we do. So it's fair to say we never, quote unquote, quite arrive in terms of maximizing technology. And, and really, that's okay. The point is we continue to assess and to explore options and to ask questions of our customers to better understand what they feel will improve their experience. What we have done has been incredibly well received though, and I'm happy to share those ideas. But again, they originated from problems we encountered and really feedback we received from parties. So for instance, we have a payment kiosk. In our community, there are many non-custodial parents who are paid in cash for a number of reasons. They're either independent contractors, they may be self-employed, they are immigrant status NCPs, even individuals who don't possess a bank account for various reasons. Um, they face challenges when it comes to remitting child support. We also realized that in job change situations where income withholdings end, end and another is effectuated, weeks can transpire before deductions automatically resume. In these situations, our agency couldn't facilitate the transaction and empowering NCPs to remit by snail mailing a money order to our state's trust fund, well, to be honest, it was less than effective. Alternative options were of course offered, but honestly, they, they weren't acted upon. And we really needed to find a way to safely and conveniently allow NCPs to make payments at our office while still adhering to our state and local cash handling restrictions. Thankfully. We found the perfect solution in a TouchPay payment kiosk, now located right in our lobby. Essentially, it functions as a reverse ATM, and NCPs along with attorneys and the court and our caseworkers, they all feel as though it's filled the previous gap payers identified. 
when paying support wasn't necessarily the issue, rather it was how and where to securely accomplish that. So to illustrate how effective the kiosk is, since its inception last July, so it's been here a year, it's collected over $250,000, averaging around $21,000 per month in payment collections. Now remember, these are payers who otherwise weren't remitting for various reasons. And when I shared our experience and success with the state's trust fund, I was asked a very reasonable question, I guess, why won't those NCPs just go to a place like Walmart to make their payment? I, I, I didn't have a good reply, but I knew where I could get one. So I went out to our lobby and it wasn't long until I had the answer to that very question. The gentleman using the kiosk looked at me oddly and then said, I, I don't know Walmart anything. Why would I do that? <laughs> I have child support. That's why I'm here. Fair enough. That's also just a great example, too, of the importance of not imposing our solutions on those who use our services, but rather giving participants a voice and then truly listening with the intent of helping. It's, we'll talk about it, I, I hope, a little bit later, but it's procedural justice principles at work. And then I'd like to share that this past April, we also implemented the first mobile app in Wisconsin, also through TouchPay. I was aware that they provided the service to other states and it just seemed like a natural fix and uh, something that they could accomplish for us as well. Ultimately, ultimately making the process of paying child support as easy as possible, I feel is the end goal because convenience should equate improved remittance and that is proving to be the case. Other examples, even simple opportunities to capitalize on technology have paid off big in terms of customer service. For instance, in our local call center, rather than passing on messages to caseworkers for a simple question, our support information team will use chat to dialogue with the caseworker immediately and just share the answer with the caller. Laptops follow caseworkers into appointments or to court. And we use Team or Zooms to meet virtually with parties when it's either inconvenient or, well, with the pandemic, unsafe to do so in person. We also have meeting on demand technology in a room off of our lobby if a participant st uh, stops in and cannot meet with their worker in person due to telework or even in situations involving injunctions between parties. And of course, ensuring that we're doing a good job promoting the state's child support online system. That's pivotal to empowering participants with knowledge about their case. Lastly, since my inception, we've converted all of our hard, co hard copy records to an online laser fiche repository, which I'm going to be honest, when was first introduced, it didn't make a lot of staff comfortable or happy. Although now some of those very same staff remark that they really don't know what they did without virtual access to case records and information. So it's much more efficient. And Right there, that example is precisely how implementing technology usually meets and oftentimes exceeds need. Thank you, Maria. So moving on to your team, how has your peer mentoring program strengthened your team and your program? Sure. We, we were fortunate to be involved in the Federal Child Support Non-Custodial Parent Demonstration Project called CSPED a while back. <clears throat> Excuse me. Called CSPED a while back. And during that time, we saw very distinctly the value of peer mentoring, particularly when delivering our parenting curriculum. 
CSPED included a two-week cohort curriculum model that held parenting classes in the morning and then employment coaching in the afternoon. The employment sessions were conducted in a classroom-type setting, but parenting services were delivered via a much more relaxed peer-to-peer support platform, which allowed for free dialogue and question-and-answer opportunities as part of the curriculum used. And, And what we found was that organically peer mentorship occurred. From these sessions, natural leaders emerged who were welcomed back as graduates to continue the dialogue with new enrollees, and our facilitator quickly recognized the value of firsthand experiences and testimonials that were shared amongst the fathers. The experience strengthened really not only our team, but our NCP's experience. To illustrate this, I'll share a story that serves really as a distinct reminder of the importance of creating this safe place to talk amongst one another. The parenting facilitator was leading a group of men one day, and one individual from the very first day vacillated from being antagonistic to silent to disengaged entirely. And as the first week concluded, one of the fathers actually called him out on his behavior and non-participation. This was a voluntary program, and if he didn't want to be there, the consensus was, why show up at all? Well, What happened from there opened the floodgates of emotion for this man. Emotion of anger, frustration, sadness, grief. That's just to touch on a few. Enough time had passed with the other men for this man to feel safe enough to finally let it all out. And what, here's what he shared. He had always had a close relationship with his children when, when they were in the area. But one day, mom took the children and just up and moved out of state. No mention that she was leaving, and and he had very little idea as to where exactly they were headed, other than near family. From family, no one would ever expect betrayal of this kind, but that's precisely what happened. And his greatest fears became reality when this father learned a cousin had sexually assaulted his precious 12-year-old daughter. Here he was, in class, helpless and incapable. He felt he wasn't there to protect her, and his feelings of inadequacy to intervene or to prevent it or to console her or just be the father that she so desperately needed now, all of these things were just visibly consuming his entire being. He was inaudible as he inconsolably sobbed in that room that day, and there was dead silence amongst the other dads. The facilitator said you could have heard a pin drop. And then something incredible happened. One by one, each man got up, walked over to their peer, and put their hand on him while he cried. And they let him grieve. Together, as men, diverse diverse in ethnicity and beliefs and backgrounds and lots in life, but all fathers just the same. They, They got it. They understood. And they grieved with him. It doesn't end there, though. There is a silver lining to this story. In part because of his experiences through CSPED and that peer support group, as well as some relentless efforts on his part, he just refused to give up. And he eventually sought placement of his daughter, and I'm thrilled to share that she is indeed in his custody and care today. Peer mentoring and support, it it cannot be compared to anything. It's something, sometimes exactly what is needed, particularly when a safe place to be honest and vulnerable isn't necessarily available otherwise. We committed to continuing to build upon our peer mentoring opportunities, and then when the pandemic hit, much of our efforts had to be put on hold. 
We continued with parenting classes virtually, but the dynamics of peer-to-peer interactions, as you may have experienced yourselves, uh, just aren't the same. One of our 2022 agency initiatives is to re-energize this important platform, and we're working with our access and visitation coordinator and private partner to develop outdoor opportunities to reconnect dads with their children in recreational ways to start out. Dad and Me Days are in the works for August, September, and October with the hope that we can rekindle our dad-to-dad peer support groups later this fall. And even beyond our service delivery and because of the value we saw in peer mentoring, um, given the parenting experience for participants, I guess, we've even incorporated it as part of our onboarding of new staff by making it an important component of our class and compensation plan. Veteran staff are now assigned as peer mentors to new trainees and work collectively with our supervisors to navigate the training experience. By doing so, we mitigate the fear of asking questions or not feeling connected to the team at first. The peer mentor serves as a primary resource in welcoming the new team member and in helping to assimilate them into the agency. I guess in sum, enough can't be said about the value of peer mentoring and support in our most humble opinion, and we are excited to re-engage in delivering those services. Thank you, Maria. I don't know about Pat, but I would love to have a whole entire podcast just based on your peer mentoring program, both for your participants as well as for um, your staff. That is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, and this next question kind of goes along with um, your the collaboration with other agencies. Why are building collaborative relationships with other agencies, such as tribal partners, so important? Well, as I previously mentioned, I learned early on in my career that the best way to serve individuals is to circle community resources around an unmet need. Rather than attempting to just be an agency that does all things and duplicates services, tapping into the strengths and resources of other agencies who are really the experts in their respective fields seems to be a much more effective and viable option. But I also learned that Mere referrals are typically, they're they're not followed through on by customers who may already be in over their heads and feel overwhelmed. So for us, building collaborative partnerships with these resource agencies affords us a number of things. First, it, it gives us an understanding of what is available and where. And also a name and a connection and a personalized resource to either reach out to on behalf of a customer or an actual person's information at an agency to provide to that individual you're serving. And then also reciprocating. In other words, being the very same thing for all of the other community agencies when matters of child support are raised. Those are all extremely important things that that we take very seriously. And so they are our strategies. And while it may sound cliche, It does take a village to supportively serve people and families. Many of those we encounter don't have support systems of their own in their respective circles. The intent of building relationships with other resource agencies is founded on the premise that individually, as organizations, we sure we can perform our tasks, but collectively we can do much greater things if we all just work together. And in terms of tribal partners, it's just imperative to build and maintain collaboration. It simply, to me, makes no sense to not work together in support of collective missions. Gosh, Brown County is lucky. We have a fantastic relationship with the wonderful people 
Edonida tribe here in our community. And that has been a longstanding and highly effective relationship for both of our agencies. I personally consider their director to be a close colleague and a tremendous resource. She's, she's someone I'm honored to say I work with, if even indirectly. It's second nature to partner with that tribe for us and others as we endeavor to administer the child support program within our respective domains, however similar or different those circumstances may be. I would propose or posit that rather than focusing on the differences, we strive to find the commonalities and embrace whatever diversity they may, there may be between our programs as just another unique facet of child support and how it operates. At the end of the day, we all have the same goal. It's providing for children. We just have to remember to keep the main thing the main thing, and everything when you collaborate falls into place. And how have you worked to establish a family-focused culture of service delivery within your staff? To be honest, that's a day-to-day -day initiative for this agency. Shifting an organization, organization's culture, and in our case, from one from that of a heavy hand to um, one of a helping hand is no easy feat, nor can it be done with the implementation of a grant or a mere change in leadership. Organizational culture is the framework of what its members believe. Uh, it, it includes what they act, how they act, and what they know to be true. It, it's the basis from how from where they function. Those principles and behaviors must first be understood before they can be influenced. So ultimately, we have to figure out what had to shift in order to trans transform our service delivery model. And the what was us and our us focus, or in other words, the mindset of power, control, and influence given vicariously through the program to more of a focus on them, the customers, both CP and NCP alike, and really their ability to exercise options as to how their case proceeded and why. Now, make no mistake, in no way does that relinquish the power and authority of the program, but it doesn't start with the flexing of those muscles, despite the fact that they are founded in statute and CFR or local authority. It starts at a place where we first, as an agency, have to seek to understand before ensuring we're understood. Our education and outreach initiative, that's what we call it, began during our transformative journey and has since become one of our primary tenants. Simply meeting people where they are at, understanding circumstances, identifying needs, compelling action, really striving to achieve mutual goals founded in the best interest of children. At the end of the day, the child support program and the incredible people who administer it are tasked with a hefty challenge to effectively, empathetically, and compassionately deal with estranged relationships, precious children, and money. <laughs> and remember these important remembering these important concepts has helped to recenter staff in their day-to-day -day efforts and really keep that main thing the main thing. Family-centered and children-oriented. And helping parents to remain focused too, so that the children don't feel the pressure or get caught in the middle. It's it's all real critical to the work that staff do. And in everything we do, we strive to ensure that we're helping and not harming. And that by supporting those we serve, we ultimately strengthen and engage parents rather than create more opposition between them or between the agency and them on whole. Thank you, Maria. Your family-focused culture and your journey to ensure that that continues to be delivered leads us very well into the next question, which is, 
How has your agency implemented procedural justice informed alternatives to contempt principles? And what are some of the benefits of your new approach to program participants? Oh, we were so honored to be a procedural justice learning site. Um, it really was uh, perfectly timed and, and exactly in line with um, how we saw service delivery. So um, our team implemented or chose to implement um, a procedural justice intervention at what we felt was the most critical formative time possible. And that's in the beginning during the paternity and establishment process. We chose that starting point with the intent to really initiate that collaborative relationship with parents from the beginning, rather than to try to overcome a negative perception or experience. By incorporating the five principles, that be, those being respect, understanding, helpfulness, voice, and, new, and neutrality, into easily understandable and relatable processes, we wanted to build a rapport and initiate trust rather than to introduce ourselves as we had in the past via a process server. We felt like when it came to explaining paternity, we were just all over the map, really, and by no means succinct, which made understanding and engaging for participants near impossible. I mean, we even found that training new child support staff on this process was challenging for supervisors and overwhelming for the trainee. So imagine what the, how the participant felt. We hypothesized that an overall lack of understanding might have contributed to non-cooperation or forced our outcomes with our participants, as in the case of default paternity judgments, for example. The fact of the matter is people do not understand why child, the child support agency is even involved in their lives in the first place. And because of that, many don't want anything to do with the agency, despite the obligation by law to participate. Negative perceptions of the agency are real barriers to compelling compliance and participation. And we wanted to fix all that. So our goals were to increase cooperation by improving understanding and increasing satisfactions with satisfaction with services from the customer's perspective and decrease court time while mitigating the instances of default judgments. We started with outreach letters, which incorporated behavioral science and procedural justice principles, and which included um, a new NCP welcome letter, and that served as a communication initiative. We revised our CP case initiation letter. We simplified a paternity affidavit questionnaire, and we created brand new CP and NCP initial and reminder letters regarding the paternity process. But arguably our most innovative creation was an interactive online roadmap of sorts designed to serve as an informational decision-making tool for parents, which sequentially walks parties through the paternity and established process by laying out options so that they can make the most appropriate decision for their situation. The pandemic created some problems in terms of evaluation. So we're working to mitigate those impacts and are in the process of collecting data to evaluate outcomes really as we speak. However, we have received tremendous feedback regarding our interactive map, not only from parties, but from staff who have a much better handle on how to explain what to expect or next steps as parents navigate their way through the process. We've learned that people are absolutely fine hearing difficult news or having a tough conversation when it's approached in a procedural justice informed way. And what we found through our initiative is that rather than dragging parties through the experience, they have the ability to assist us in navigating their way by understanding options and having a voice and engaging with us and each other really to achieve the best outcome for them as parents.
Thank you, Maria. We here at Franklin County, I also participated in um, this grant and trying to um, come up with our best practices as well. So it'll be, and we did more of enforcement, so I'd love to keep having this conversation a little bit more. Um, can you describe your Elevate program, please? Sure, I'd be happy to. In order to promote cooperation, really, and compliance between parents and the Child Support Agency, Brown County has participated in innovative service delivery studies, which include employment services to NCPs, as well as parenting education. In conjunction with the state and other counties, Brown County has delivered these services really since 2013 in various formats, including um, the National CSPED study that we talked about earlier. Efforts to change the overall perception of the child support program from one of a purely punitive nature to that of a resource and referral entity have been truly transformational. And Elevate is just another outcome and another way to be able to do that. Elevate, I should start out with um, as an acronym stands for Empowering Lives Through Education, Vocational Assessment, Training, and Employment. And frankly, the program is just that. It is a voluntary work program complete with assessments, work supports, resource and referral services, as well as coaching to regain employment or just obtain a better position. There's also a mentoring component as well, which focuses on collaborative co-parenting, also voluntary. Our agency utilizes what we call an individual stability model to determine where an NCP is in relation to their basic needs and subsequently how where they fall in that area impacts their motivation to be successful. It's very similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs chart, although our model is designed to more closely replicate the issues an NCP may be facing, which prohibit their movement to the next or higher level of personal growth. Elevate ensures that we're assessing all of these issues and levels and then holistically managing to identify root causes and barriers with a trauma-informed approach. By asking the right questions first, exploring readiness, ensuring basic needs are met, and case managing for support, we're more capable of meeting the NCP where they are at without making any incorrect assumptions about their readiness. I think both I think before Elevate, we just assumed all NCPs were at the highest level, career exploration and self-actualization. But Elevate has demonstrated that many of those individuals we're serving are really nowhere near that. Some are homeless or food insufficient, and others have unmet physical or mental health care needs. And really, some of our NCPs are dealing with transportation or legal issues as well. The Elevate Coordinator can connect the NCP to resources within the community to solve for all these issues, and then, once addressed, can move on up the model to skill development and employment re-engagement. And yet, there are other times when Elevate is just a little boost and NCP needs to overcome an unemployment stint, and all it takes is a little help with a resume, maybe an elevator speech, or the fix, fix to a barrier they may not even have realized was precluding them from getting the offer. For example, knowing how to discuss a period of incarceration or to simply simply synthesize skills they have as transferable to the job they are applying for, which they just didn't really know how to do. The Elevate Coordinator has the ability to dr drill into all of these issues to identify the roadblocks, solve for them, and offer guidance as well as job leads to get the NCP back on track and, and positioned for success. Having the ability to offer a program like Elevate has been instrumental in changing participants' perception of the child support agency from that of just a debt collection agency that they really wish to avoid to a resource agency they can seek out for help in, help in times when they are struggling.
Thanks, Maria. And I think you've kind of touched on this next question when you were describing the program. But what are some other benefits or impacts to program participants you or your team have seen after the implementation, excuse me, after the implementation of the Elevate program? Oh, yeah. The impact of the program has been multifaceted. It, it really boils down to two words, trust and hope. Trust in the agency and hope for a more self-sufficient future. This isn't my interpretation either of the impact of the program. It's what we've heard from our participants directly time and time again. We are still involved in the collection of data and the evaluator will be analyzing outcomes much more closely upon enrollment conclusion. But the immediate impacts are obvious and the rewards of operating Elevate go beyond what statistical measurements really will illustrate. Um, It's very important data but not indicators of all the, all the many benefits we're seeing. In a lot of cases, particularly with individuals who require more case management services, we're literally peeling away layers to identify root cause of non-remittance. We found that at first blush, what gives the appearance of non-compliance often yields to confounded barriers of trauma, addiction, and overall economic insecurity, such to the extent that the NCP isn't self-sufficient, including homelessness. So helping to identify, address, and solve for those issues is beyond rewarding. Without Elevate, we never asked the questions. But when we did as part of CSPED and Elevate, we learned that noncompliance was actually a veil for fear, trepidation, and hopelessness. As an example, we have a gentleman who participated in the federal CSPED study who we continue to serve through Elevate. He had provided us with a quote in our lobby wall, and it's really a great testimonial. I think it sums up the impact our programming has made over the years. He said, quote, I used to run from the child support agency, and now I run to it, unquote. And for us, that says a lot. And he does utilize the agency as the resource we intend it to be. That all circles back to those two words, trust and hope. Staff have made it very clear, absent grant funding, we still can never go back to being a program that doesn't include components in the philosophical approach of Elevate. It's it's changed who we are and how we accomplish our work and how our services are perceived. It's made enforcement efforts when we have to progress to them administratively or judicially more viable and more amendable for us uh, because we've provided options leading up to that point in order to absolutely try to avoid those measures. Our experience has led us to conclude that In our overall caseload, about 80% of NCPs are independently successful without our intervention. They're complying. Then we have 10% who do indeed need a little help to get back on track. And there are approximately 5% of payers who are unable or temporarily, maybe even permanently unable to remit. And then 5% who are simply unwilling. But you see, Elevate helps us to vet that last 20% to ensure that those who want to be compliant have the resources they need in order to do so, and those that don't still find accountability. The truth is, Elevate has positively impacted everyone involved in the child support program, from employers to the court to the CP, the children, even the taxpayer, and our staff, and most importantly, it's changed the lives of NCPs. We've reconnected estranged fathers to their children after years. We've gotten people off the streets and out of shelters and into permanent housing. We've seen men seek treatment for their addictions and stay clean. And we've also watched individuals move from minimum wage jobs into careers and some from mid-level job loss to new roles making six figures. It's been remarkable for them and for us in terms of experience. It really has been.
Maria, that's so inspirational. And one of the things I'll take away from today for sure is are the words trust and hope. Because no matter what you do in life, those two words sum up, I think, all of our human aspirations. So thank you for sharing that. That's, a, that's really important. The final question we have for you is, what would your advice be to aspiring leaders that are listening to us today? Well, guidance, support, encouragement, all of the things that are meant to nurture leadership are things that I try to impart on my team each and every day. And I suspect they may not even be aware that my underlying intent is to compel their personal exploration of leadership skills within them. Maybe I'm more covert in my approach than what I should be, but developing leaders is a responsibility I take seriously. I, I want to ensure that the program is in good hands when I'm no longer at the helm here locally. In terms of advice, I'd have to start with, you'll, you'll never quite feel ready to lead, but the brilliant part about leadership is you don't actually need a title to test your skills and to increase your comfort level as you aspire to take on more. Leadership can be just a wonderful evolution of personal and professional growth seized in small opportunities that eventually all add up. Pragmatically, I think it's important to become familiar with all of the aspects of leadership through little incremental experiences. And what do I mean by that? Well, fulfilling a leadership role can sometimes be trying and oftentimes be challenging. It's never uneventful. It's frequently inspirational. And it's always, always worthwhile. So if you're at all interested, jump in. Believe in yourself and your capacity. Believe in your scope, your, your creativity, and your ability to be innovative. As my boss told me when I started, be bold and brave. You're stronger than you think. My mantra is, remember too, your success as a leader is all about how you handle plan B. In other words, your initial idea may fall flat or something you might not have considered could suddenly become the deal breaker for success. But I call those things unintended consequences and I say don't give up. Move on over to plan B. As I've learned, there are literally 24 additional letters in the alphabet. Just keep going until you find the perfect solution to your situation. Letters E, F, and G might be way better than plan A ever had the potential for. And had I not failed over and over again, I may not have come to the best option out there. Plan E could be the silver lining. It's just a different way to ease the fear of failure or perhaps fear in general and maintain your commitment to success because failure does not define you. It's what you do with it that counts. And that concept was culminated in a quote Mr. Dick Vitale made in his recent SB speech. Maybe you saw it too. When I heard him speak, his message really hit home for a number of reasons. I'm particularly moved by Mr. Vitale because of the approach he took to his cancer diagnosis, which he was very public about. You see, my son Caden was diagnosed with a similar type of cancer, MDS, three years ago at the age of 24 when I was coming back from an NCSEA convention. It was, um, for me as a mother, it was uh, startling and, and it stopped me in my tracks. But for his commitment to recovery, Mr. Vitale won the Jimmy V Award for Perseverance. And he said this, keep chasing your dreams, keep chasing your goals. Perseverance plus passion plus pride equals win in the game of life. 
For me, no truer words have been spoken, but I'd like to change them up a bit. Let's remember that in child support, it's not all about us. It's about the parents and their children, literally our future. When we approach our work with perseverance and passion while finding the reward in the work that we do by instilling pride and dignity and the principles of procedural justice in our service delivery, everyone wins. Most importantly, our participants win and our children win. And frankly, that's what it's all about. And from the bottom of my heart, it's really an honor and a privilege to be any part of that and to contribute to it in some small way. Maria, thank you so very much for sharing your perspectives and your experiences with us. You truly provide an inspiring example of how to successfully lead and innovate with your team for the families that you serve in your program. For NCIA On Location, I'm your host, Pat O'Donnell of Young Williams. I'd like to thank my co-host, Brandy Gallego, and a big thank you to our listeners for participating with us today. We hope you found this session very informative. Thank you very, very much. On Location is available on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. We have a lot of great episodes on the way, so be sure to subscribe and listen to all of our previous episodes as well. We also appreciate your ratings, your feedback, your comments, and your suggestions. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to us on the contact link on our website. On Location is a production of the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Joe Mamlin and me. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Tim Leitner, and this has been On Location.